Let me just, I'm going to pray and then uh, we're going to get into the word. Uh, why don't you just join me for just a second in prayer. Father, we want to just bless you. We come with, uh, as the psalmist said, we enter your gates with thanksgiving in our heart. And we come into your courts with praise, Father, remembering all the things that you've done for each of us, Lord. Um, Lord, we're so grateful. We're so grateful. And I just pray that you would speak to each heart this morning that, like individuals that came into contact with Jesus, there was not a person that I could recall that he ever met or ever spoke to that walked away the same. They were different people when they walked away. Whether they were blind or whether they were lepers or whether they were lame and even the dead and even those that rejected him walked away different. They walked away with a greater degree of bitterness or hurt in their life, disappointment in their life. Father, we pray for the good this morning. We pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on us in such a way that we'd walk out changed people and we would be truly people of the light. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is a crazy time of year, as all of you know. Uh, I, I can't remember, really, in my lifetime, I started hearing Christmas songs after, the, like the day after Halloween. Yeah, it was like, just like, you know, it's just like we bypassed, you know, Thanksgiving altogether and just went right to Christmas. And, you know, all of the, the hype, and this is probably the most over-promoted holiday that's celebrated in the world. Uh, I mean, all the promises, if you look at all the things that are advertised on TV, things that you can get that are going to bring you happiness and peace and joy, um, you know, those of you that are parents know that those things last for about five minutes or five hours under the Christmas tree before they're broken. The thing that your kids so desperately wanted, you know, uh, will last just a few hours and then, you know, we find our kids having more fun with the cardboard box that the thing came in than they did with that toy itself. So, uh, I, I mean, it's crazy. And, you know, I know that some of you, there's all kind of different views about this, even in the, in the church, about whether we should celebrate Christmas or not celebrate it. You know, I grew up, Nina and I, when we first got married, we were, uh, I mean, very legalistic about uh, holidays, and we just, like, were very standoffish. We didn't have a tree, didn't celebrate Christmas. Um, I mean... You know, it wasn't until I think our Jason was young, um, probably three, four, five years old, that we, you know, actually brought in the first tree because it was the idol. And, uh, man, and I look around me, and I walk into our house, and I mean, you can't even get to our front porch. I mean, we've gone from one extreme to the other. We have a Christmas tree on the front porch, the front porch of the house. We have one over the kitchen sink, and I counted five in the living room. It's like going from no Christmas trees to about seven or eight Christmas trees. It's just like, my wife is in the mood. <laughs> We're loving Christmas, and I hope you are too. Well, um, I, I do. let me just, uh, before I get into the Word, I just need to uh, tell you, you know, the church is going through some growth changes, and with growth comes uh, different needs. Uh, so we're needing, uh, uh, we're picking up over at Pete's Pets, those that want to come to church that, you know, didn't have a ride, so we're asking for drivers. If you're interested in volunteering for uh, to be a driver, we'd love to have you, love to talk to you after the service today or, or during the week. We also need security. We need, added, we need added security. So if you have a background, uh, like in, in the police or military background, 
uh, we'd like to, you know, talk to you as well. And then we also need uh, medical, people that have a, a medical background. Uh, you know, God forbid, but if something were to happen in a morning service that, you know, I, I preached and scared you to the point where you just keel, keeled over, uh, we need somebody to be able to take care of that. So uh, those are the three things that we're looking for right now, drivers, security, and medical. So if you've if you got a heart for that, I want to uh, just encourage you to see me or one of our leaders, elders or deacons, uh, after the service this morning. We're going to, uh, today is, uh, by the way, uh, the beginning of Advent. Advent uh, comes uh, the uh, first Sunday before uh, November the 30th. And Advent is, uh, for the church, it's not only looking behind at what happened 2,000 years ago, but it's looking ahead to what's going to happen when Jesus returns. And so uh, it's called the Advent season. We're not just thinking about and, and thinking about history and, and, and worshiping, you know, a little baby in a manger. You know, I mean, all of that's part and parcel of what we do, but that's not our focus. Our, our focus is on Jesus, not the little baby Jesus, but the Jesus that went to the cross and died for our sins, the resurrected Jesus, the one who promises to fill us with the Holy Spirit, give us the promise of the Holy Spirit, the one that has promised to come back and redeem us, the one that has promised not only to save us and forgive us our sins, but to change us, to sanctify us, to transform us while we're here. And um, so you may think that this is an odd place to start, but I'm going to start in Joshua uh, chapter 6 this morning. And uh, I want to be talking about um, an inheritance. And in the book of Joshua, the word is mentioned almost 60 times, I think in 28 chapters, uh, the word inheritance. And so, um, you know, there's uh, a lot of you know, uh, and, and probably have heard these stories before, but uh, the, one, the one story that kind of sticks with me was the, the guy that knew that his, uh, his uh, widower father was about to die and was going to leave him $20 million, and he went into uh, a restaurant, met a lady, and, you know, told him, the, told her the story, said that my dad's about to leave me $20 million, and I, uh, I'm just looking for someone to spend my life and the money with. And uh, she went home with him that night, and the next day she became his stepmother. <laughs> well, you guys are a little slow on that one. <laughs> Okay, I'll give you another one. This is a math problem. The old professor poses the following problem to one of his classes. He says, a wealthy man dies and leaves $10 million. One-fifth goes to his daughter, one-fifth goes to his son, one-sixth to his brother, and the rest to the wife. Now, what does the rest get? After a long pause, one of the little boys says, an attorney? And that's kind of the way that it is, you know, that... Uh, I know that many of you have lost loved ones and you've been left in inheritance, but I want to focus on that today. I want to talk about an Old Testament inheritance, and I want to talk about the New Testament inheritance. And so we begin in, in uh, Joshua chapter uh, 6. And those of you that have a Bible background or maybe don't, uh, the way, where, we, where we start today is that uh, uh, God made a promise to a man by the name of Abraham that, uh, who didn't have any children at all, that he'd become the father of a mighty nation. Uh, the nation of uh, Abraham did have a son named Isaac. Isaac had uh, Jacob. And um, 
Jacob had, uh, or Isaac had Jacob and uh, Esau, and uh, and Jacob became what is known as the the father of Israel. The twelve tribes of Israel come from him. They grew to a point where they were mighty in the land. Then a great famine comes in the land, and they all have to go down to Egypt. And they spend four hundred years. And the king of Egypt recognizes that they are a mighty force, too powerful to deal with. He was concerned that if there was a war. Uh, that the children of Israel, this might, mighty nation, might turn on him. And so he made them, put them into slavery. And after a period of 400 some odd years, God raises up a man by the name of Je- uh, Moses who sends uh, him back to Egypt. Uh, Moses was raised in Pharaoh's court. He was almost second in command in Egypt. And uh, he ends up killing an Egyptian because he didn't like the way that he was treating one of the fellow Jews, one of his brothers, and he kills that man. And when it's found out, he spends about 40 years in the wilderness, and then God calls him back to uh, bring the children out of Egypt. And I want to just I want you to just focus on that on a, focus on that for a second. God uses Moses to bring them out of Egypt, so they are saved from a, uh, from Pharaoh, and they are delivered out of Egypt. And then they move toward the Promised Land. Moses sins, and God says, "You're not going to be able to take them in." But a man by the name of one of your one of your friends, one of your uh, you know, man that I have my eyes on, God is saying, "I'm going to let Joshua take them into uh, the Promised Land." And so Moses dies outside of the Promised Land, and uh, God raises up Joshua to take the children of Israel into uh, into the Promised Land. And so we begin with. Uh, with Joshua, it says that the first, this is their first battle. And they have to, they, they've got to go in and, and there's just battle after battle. There's armies that are afraid of them, that fear them, that want to kill them. But God is with them, just like God is with you today. And whatever trial, whatever struggle you face today, God is with you. That's what Emmanuel means, God with us. I think it's kind of interesting, and I'll, I'll point this out a little later on in the service, but you know, there were two songs that we sang this morning. And one of them was um, Jesus be the center uh, of our life. And I want to just, I'm going to talk about that in a second. The other song was talking about uh, an inheritance, how we've inherited these things. It says now in Jericho, or now Jericho, and if you've got to get this, Jericho was uh, a, a fortified city. Uh, it was a double-walled city, walls that exceeded over 40 feet high, and the distance between inside the two walls um, was large enough that you could have chariot races on if you wanted to. There were houses that were built in between these two walls, and then inside was the was the city. And uh, Joshua sends in two spies. You remember the remember the story about Rahab the harlot, how she you know, told the two spies, she says that, look, the, our, everybody is afraid of you. Our knees are trembling because of you. Uh, fear, our hearts have melted like wax because of you. And uh, it says that Jericho was surely, uh, securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out. I mean, they were terrified. None came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, listen to this. This is the first indication of inheritance. He says, see, I have given Jericho in your hands. It was like you know, they were hearing the reports after the two spies came back and Rahab the harlot told them, told the two spies, I mean, we're terrified of you. We're terrified. We are, we are, I mean, we just lost, you know, all courage. 
and, and we have no strength, and, and our knees are weak, and, and everything is shaking. Our knees are shaking, and uh, the walls are shaking, the stones are shaking, everything is shaking. And, and God says to, Jer- to Joshua, he says, listen, I have given, I, listen to this, I, not you, not your strength, not your power, not your might, but God is saying to Joshua, see, I have given you this city. He says, I've given it into your hand. It's kings and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all your men of war. You shall go around the city once, and this shall you, this shall you do six days. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns. And that probably looked a lot like this right here. So you got seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns. Now, the children of Israel, they had during that time... Uh, in the temple, they had silver trumpets, but a ram's horn was a little bit different. When the ram's horn uh, blew, and I think I even... Do we have that queued up, guys? Go ahead. Let her rip. Really loud. So, in that day, if you heard that, it reminded you of God's presence and God's provision and God's protection. When you heard the ram's horn blow, it was a symbol that God was there, that God was there. And so, you've got, you know, you've got these priests, these seven priests that are, you know, walking around the city of Jericho, the walls of Jericho, and they're blowing the trumpets, uh, sounds, the ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the, pe- the priest shall blow the trumpet, and it shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the walls of the city will fall down flat. So once a day, for six days, they walked around, Nobody said anything. Everybody, the, the word is everybody be quiet. Don't even say a word. Mum's the word. And so the priests are walking around. They're doing the shofar call. Uh, I mean, by this time, there's about, about two million of the children of Israel. They're just kind of like over here on the side watching the, the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant represented the, the presence of God. And where the presence of God is, like I said, when the trumpet blew, it represented the trumpet sound represented the presence of God, the protection of God, and the provision of God. And so you've got like all of these multitude of people. You've got these seven priests that are walking around. There's an, uh, a small little attachment of army before them and one before, uh, one behind them that's just walking around. And the people inside the city are going crazy. It's like, what does it mean? What does it mean? And so uh, on the seventh day, as we see, as we just read, it says the wall of that city will fall down flat. And so Joshua reminds them of their inheritance and that all the things that God has done for them. And I want to remind you today, and we're going to get to it, your inheritance, that you are a child of the living God. And being a child of the living God means that you have an inheritance. But uh, when we get to the point where... Um, Joshua is about to die, and uh, I don't know, some 
you know, 80 years have passed since they've been into the promised land. And I want you to listen to this. And I want you to notice one key word. And this key word is for the children of Israel or the children of promise or the children of inheritance. And God is saying to Joshua, and Joshua is speaking to the children of Israel, notice this word, I. Notice how many times the word I is used in this passage of Scripture. And it's Joshua, as I said, he's just about getting ready to die, and he's giving kind of his last will and testimony and his last words to the children of Israel. And he begins, he says, I brought your fathers out of Egypt. You came to the sea and the Egyptians pursued you. Uh, uh, pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. So they cried out to the Lord, and he put darkness. God put darkness between. Remember, there was a, a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. There was darkness in the, you know, on, on the Egyptian side, but on the, the Israeli side, there was a cloud of day to protect them from the, the burning heat and a pillar of fire to protect them during the night. And he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, and he brought the sea upon them. And he covered them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. And then you dwelt in the wilderness for a long time. And I brought you into the land of the Amorites who dwell on the other side of the Jordan. And they fought you. But I gave them into your hands that you might possess their land. And I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab, arose to make war against Israel and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not let or would not listen to Balaam. And therefore he continued to bless you. So I delivered you out of his hand. And then you went over the Jordan and came to the Jericho, the story that we just read. And the men of Jericho fought against you also, the Amorites, the uh, Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, Gergashites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. But I delivered them. Again, there's that word, I delivered them into your hand. And I sent hornets before you, uh, which drove them out before you, also the two kings of the Amorites, but not with your own sword or with your bow. I have given you a land for which you did not labor, and cities which you did not build, and you dwell in them, and you eat of vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and truth, and put away the gods that your father served on the other side of the river in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And so you know, over and over again, uh, Joshua's just reminding them that, you know, it really wasn't them. God said, I'm giving you this. I'm going to do this. This is your inheritance, and I'm giving it to you. It's like, you know, just like if you receive, um, you know, uh, an inheritance today, someone, you know, beforehand writes down on a piece of paper what they want to give you. Typically, you don't know what it is. You have no idea, no clue, or you even list it in the will. But God is saying that, I'm doing this for you. I'm giving this to you. And there's nothing that you can do to earn it. It's just like salvation today. There's nothing that we can do to earn salvation. God said, I will give you this. And then we read at the end of Joshua's life, the Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old. And they buried him within the borders of his inheritance in the mountains of Ephraim on the north side of Mount Gash. And all the generations that had been gathered, when all the generations, I'm talking about, talking about all the people that had come in that, uh, that, that had lived there after the initial time when Moses went in and the ten spies came back with a bad report. And many of those people, God said, I'm not going to let one of you go in. 
except for Joshua and Caleb. Everybody else, when they, when they die, then we're, I'm starting all over again with Joshua, Joshua and Caleb. And it says that when all of that generation had been gathered, or they died, they passed on, and went to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Merry Christmas. Um, I know that some of you are thinking, man, where are we going with this? All right, we're going to get there. We'll get there eventually. Um, but so it says that, you know, I, I keep in mind, you've got God's people in God's land. They've been saved and they've been delivered. They've been saved, uh, you know, and delivered from Pharaoh and from Egypt. Okay, they're saved and delivered, but now they're in the promised land. And it says that they begin to do evil in the sight of the Lord. And they begin to, when they begin to do evil in the sight of the Lord, they begin to give up their inheritance. And I want to tell you, the same is true. I'm going to, I'm going to just read through some more of this. But uh, uh, they still had, still had battles to fight. And if you start in uh, Judges chapter 2, you will see this, rep- this phase, phrase repeated over and over and over again. The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them over to their enemies. And I, I'm, you'll read it seven times in two or three chapters. The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them over to their enemies. They despised their birthright. They began to turn their backs on the way, from the, from the Lord. It's like the story in, um, in Genesis chapter 25. Remember the story when Esau and Jacob, they were twins. Esau was the, was the older brother. The older brother got the inheritance. He got, he got a double portion. The firstborn son got the double portion. So he got the bonus. And so one day, you know, Esau had been out hunting. Jacob was at, you know, at the, in the kitchen. He was making up a nice pot of stew. Esau comes in and he says, give me some of your stew or I'm going to die. And Jacob said, I'll give you some of my stew if you give me your birthright. He despised his birthright. He despised the inheritance. It was like it wasn't important to him. I mean, what God wanted to give him was not important. And so he said, sure, you know, I'm going to die anyway. Give me the soup. You have the birthright. And so the children of Israel, the same way, are in the promised land. They're saved. They're delivered. They're out of Egypt. They're in the promised land, but they're giving up their birthright. They're giving up their inheritance by, uh, by bowing down to the gods of the land. But the Bible tells us, and I want, I want to just kind of switch from Old Testament to New Testament. The Bible says, see what great love the Father has lavished upon us, that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. We are the children of God, that you are a child of the living God. And you may not feel like it. You may not understand it. You may not understand your birthright and what comes along with the birthright, the inheritance that you receive. But let me just read another scripture to you. Um, it says, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. Those that are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God, and the Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive 
brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, by the Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are, we are God's children. Now, if we are God's children, listen to this, then we are heirs. We are heirs. So when the, when the will and testament is open, you know, everything that Jesus got, everything that belonged to Jesus, you know, when he says, I'm not calling you servants anymore. He says, I'm calling you children. He says, I'm not, I'm not calling you servants. I'm not calling you slaves. He says, I'm, I'm calling you children, children of God. And if you are children, then we are heirs and heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Now, most of you, uh, probably most of you in, in the, uh, in, in the, um, room this morning have a bank account. And some of you have a joint bank account. And so what that means is that, you know, either Nina or I can go to that account and, uh, she can write a check for as much as she wants. She can't just take half. It's not just half hers. It's all hers. And so she can write a check. Uh, on as much as she wants, and I can write a check on as much as I want because we are co-heirs. We're, we're like co-heirs. That's the same thing that co-heirs means. That, you know, the same thing that Christ was given, you have access to as well. And sometimes that's a problem because she's writing checks and I'm writing checks and we're not talking to each other. And, uh, all of a sudden somebody is talking to us. <laughs> Talk to each other more. <laughs> before you write checks. Um, but you have, uh, it means that you have 100%. And because we are joint heirs with Christ, we share in His kingdom. Not just part of His kingdom, we share all of His kingdom. We have access to all that Christ had access to. All the promises of God. All the blessings of the Father. All the inheritance. We are joint heirs with Christ. And that is available to us today. It reminds me of the story of the uh, Sunday school teacher that was checking in two little boys and, you know, she was asking them their names and uh, their birthdays. And uh, the one little boy said, my birthday is April the 8th, uh, 2004. And the other little boy said, my birthday is April the 20th, 2004. And the teacher said, you know, that's impossible. Uh, and the, the little boy says, no, it's not. He says, one of us is adopted. And before she could even think, the words came out of her mouth, which one is adopted? And the one little boy, they looked at each other and they smiled. And they said, one of them said, well, our, we asked our dad that question some time ago. And he just looked at us and said he forgot, but he loved us both the same. And see, that's the way that it is with us. That God loves us all the same. I mean, they're not various classes, different grades or classes in the kingdom of God. I mean, God loves you. Uh, you know, I don't care where you are, what kind of background you have, what you've done, who you've done it with. God's not so much concerned about that. I mean, we are all children of God, and we are all entitled to the things, same things that Christ was entitled to. And some of those things, you know, that we talk about, we talk about hope, you know, joy and strength that we can receive as well. We have an inheritance. We have a, you know, promised land people think different than other people. I mean, people that are not in the promised land, you know, they wake up in the morning and they say, you know, my mom was a drunk, my dad was a drunk, my aunts and uncles were drunk, I guess that means I'm going to be a drunk. I'm just a drunk. 
Or, you know, my mom was a drug addict, my dad was a drug addict, I guess that means that I'm just going to be a drug addict too. No, promised land people look and say, this may be the way that I am today, but I have a future, I have a hope, and I have an inheritance in God given to me through Christ Jesus that I don't have to be the person that I was yesterday because old things are passed away, the Bible says, and all things have become new. Amen? And that's what that next scripture says, Second Chronicles or Second Corinthians uh, 5.17. So we don't have to assume that tomorrow is going to be difficult. Uh, we don't have to assume that tomorrow, you know, we can't assume that tomorrow is going to be victorious, you know. I mean, maybe you're having a bad day today, but you don't have to acknowledge that, you know, every day is going to be a bad day. And I'm always going to have bad days. Now, if you're in Christ You know, you've got God as your father. He is concerned about you. And just backing up in that story, it was what motivated God to send Moses is God, Moses was out on the backside of the desert tending sheep. And God speaks to Moses from the burning bush. And he says, I have heard the misery of the children of Israel. I've heard and seen their cry. I've seen their misery. I know where they are. I'm concerned about them. I care about them and I'm concerned about them. And I am going to intervene on their behalf. And, and you may be saying, you know, okay, all right, you know, you know the story, you know the Egypt story, you know, uh, water turns into blood and flies and darkness covers the land and, and gnats and, you know, just hailstones just destroying the land. And, you know, and you might be saying, you know, I can get that, Ron. I, I can understand that God cares for me and that He's concerned about me, but I don't see God moving on my behalf. You know, I don't see, you know, the water turning into blood, or I don't see darkness covering the face of the, of, of, the, of the land. I don't see flies unless they're on me, and I'm drinking the blood. You know, I can get that part of it. But I don't see God doing anything on my behalf. And I want to just tell you that, you know, that God, you know, where you are right now, God sees you, and He hears your cry, understands what you're going through, and I promise you that God will eventually, eventually move on your behalf and deliver you. He will bring you out of that. The Bible says that God is not a respecter of any people. He, he doesn't, you know, as I said earlier, He doesn't have one class of people that's higher than the other. God loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And, you know, when you get that in your mind and understand that you are a child of God and being a child of God, you are an heir uh, with Christ, a co-heir with Christ, and entitled to, but not because of anything that you've done. Not because of any the good deeds that we've done. It's simply because God loves you, and He's promising these things to you. And so, when we, I was talking to Nina last night, and we were, you know, just talking about, you know, the things that we receive as an inheritance from God. Well, you know, number one, we receive uh, forgiveness of sin, and as a result of that, we receive uh, eternal life. But you know, here in this life, we have peace and we have joy. And, you know, we have, uh, you know, just the, the full blessing of God, you know, just, uh, you know, we don't have to worry. We don't have to fret. We'll talk about that, you know, from uh, in, in just a moment. Um, but the, the problem is, guys, uh, and I really want you to see this because I, I see such a correlation between the, the Jews in the promised land and Christians in the church today that we are saved and we've been delivered, we've been saved from our sin, we've been delivered from hell, and in a sense we're in the promised land, but we don't even know what the promises are. 
And we don't even know what the inheritance is. We don't know what we're entitled to. I came across a story about two homeless brothers. It said they inherited $6.6 billion, that's billion with a B, dollars from a grandmother that they never knew. The pair, they were penniless. And down and out, uh, they were on the streets in, I think it was in Budapest. It was Budapest. It said uh, they were, you know, in trash cans looking for food. Uh, they lived in a cave. And then all of a sudden, someone shows up and said that, you know, their mother had died and uh, the fortune was theirs. But can you think about it? $6.6 billion eating out of a trash can, living in a cave, trying to scrounge up what metal and, and trash that you can sell just to survive. And I'm going to tell you, that's the way the church is. We've got this inheritance. And we don't realize it. We're not seizing it. And God's saying it's there. It's there for you to take. Who wants to take it? All right. Amen. Well, I want to, uh, I want to try to wrap this up. So uh, I just want to show you through the scripture that you do have an inheritance. Because I know some of you are thinking, you know, maybe you do, but I don't. But God's word's true. David said this in Psalm 16. He says, the lines, that means my lot, my portion, the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. And I know that not everyone in here is saying that today. Maybe you feel like your lines have not fallen to you in good places. In Acts chapter 20, it says, so now, brethren, I commend you to God into the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among those that have been sanctified or are sanctified. And then he writes uh, uh, the Holy Spirit through Luke and talking about Paul in the book of Acts 26. I'm sending you, God's saying to Paul, I'm sending you to open the eyes, the eyes of the unbelievers, the eyes of those that don't realize that, yes, you're saved and you've been delivered but there's still more. There's still an inheritance that you have to receive. I'm sending you in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sin and an inheritance among those that are saved or, or who are sanctified by faith in me. Well, the walls of Jericho, come. how do they start coming down? You know, notice that. Let me just back up to that scripture we talked about earlier. They come down when... The children of Israel received their inheritance. Now, the walls that we face today, they're not brick, they're not mortar, they're not stone. But the walls that we face today, Paul calls them strongholds. Um, he calls it a stronghold. It's an argument. It's a mindset, a philosophy, uh, a precept that is against God and against his word. And notice in, in Jericho, it says that, you know, in Jericho, remember what I said about the priest and, and the Ark of the Covenant? The Ark of the Covenant was in the center. There were, you know, there was an armed guard before, there was an armed guard behind, but there were seven priests, and they were blowing the shofar and carrying the Ark of the, uh, of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was in the, in the center, in the very center 
of, of what was going on. And I'm going to tell you that when you get Jesus, we sang that song this morning. In fact, our worship team, I want you guys to come back up. Uh, Jesus be the center of my life. When we start, when we get Jesus, no matter what problems you face, whether they're financial problems or relationship problems, marriage problems, debt problems, money problems, sexual problems, no matter what problems you face, when Jesus Christ is in the center of your life, that is, that is your ram's horn. That is your ram's horn right here. That when you get Jesus in the center of your life. Now, you know, I told you that this represented uh, God's peace and God's protection, God's provision. But so what do we do? We go down to Costco or Walmart and buy one of these and blow it around as we're driving in the car. What is a ram's horn for us today? Well, the Bible tells us that our ram's horn is the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit, which we can you can fight with the sword of the spirit. We don't fight against flesh and blood, but we do. We are in a spiritual battle. You are in a spiritual battle. And I'm telling you that Satan will do everything that he possibly can to keep you from receiving the inheritance that God wants to give you. He will deceive you. He is a great deceiver. He will deceive you with doubt, with unbelief, with fear. All of these things will keep you from coming into the promised land. And we see that story told over and over again because remember when, you know, David went out and killed the giant. The whole army of Israel is back there. They're terrified. They don't want to go out. They're afraid of the giant. Fear will keep you from inheriting the promised land. I mean, they were in the promised land, but the giant was there too and threatening them. And all of Israel's like, no, man, no way, no way. And a little kid gets up and goes out and kills the giant. Because he, he, he took hold. He seized the inheritance. He seized the word of God. The promise to him. And God said, this is your land. This is not their land anymore. This is your land. And there's so many things, guys, that we in the church have given up. That we've just kind of succumbed to. That, you know, uh, again... I'm a, I'm a drug addict. I'm a drunk. I've got a bad temper. I'm angry. I, I just could never forgive that, that person. Or God could never forgive me. See, those are uh, strongholds and imaginations that you need to cast down with the Word of God. So you pick up the Word of God and you do exactly what Jesus did. Remember Jesus in the wilderness when he was... Uh, being tempted by the devil, every time he used the Word of God, it is written, it is written, it is written. And that's why it's so important for you and I to know the Word of God, to understand the Word of God. You know, uh, some of us live in the past. So many of you live in the past, and you, you second-guess your life, and you think, you know, if only I would have married this person or that person, or if I would have done this back then, or if I'd have gone to school, or if I wouldn't have gone to school, or if I'd have taken this job, and, and you just live and you're buried in the past. Forget that. Turn the page. Go on. Today is a new day. And God wants to deliver you. He wants to set you free. He wants you to receive all of the promises that He has for you. All right, well, I'm going to, I said I was going to stop all ago, and then I lied. Um, but I do want to close. I just want to, as I mentioned from Ephesians 6, 17, it says that the sword is of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, that talks about putting on the whole armor of God. And so, that's why it's so important for us to know. I guess, guys, what I'm trying to say today 
that you've got to be more than a John 3.16 Christian. You know, almost everybody knows that. But there's so much more that you need to know that will make your life successful. So when you became become uh, anxious, then Philippians, and you could use this for every word that I'm going to use here, uh, you could use the same passage of Scripture. When you're anxious, the book of Ephesians says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. When you have fear, you remember the word of God. It says, do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. When you have worry in your life, Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or, what your, or, or about your body, what you will put on it. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns. And yet your heavenly Father, your heavenly Father feeds them. This is the promise to you that he does it. Remember, I, 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 I. And he says, I will provide for you food and clothing. I will take care of you. I'll rid you of fear. I will rid you of your anxiousness. When you find yourself in debt and money problems, Philippians 4.19 says, God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. When you find yourself troubled and you can't rest at night, you have no peace, you're concerned about everything, Philippians, back to Philippians 4, it says, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Put Jesus in the center of your problem. He says, I've given you power over everything. I've given you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. My yoke is easy, and my burden I give you. Listen, my burden I give you is light. And then he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I, 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 I give you. I do not give it to you as the world does. Luke 21, I will give you words along with wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to contradict. And then Ezekiel 36 says, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your body and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. Well, I was looking for scripture to encourage pastor friends of mine this morning and I was reading this from Psalm 18 and I thought if we understand the promises of God and if you understand your inheritance this is what David said understanding the promises of God listen indeed with your help I can charge against an army by my God's power, I can jump over a wall. Who is a protector besides our God? The one true God gives me strength. He removes obstacles out of my way. You give me your protective shield. Your right hand supports me. Your willingness, listen to this, your willingness to help enables me to prevail. You widen my path. My feet do not slip. The Lord is alive. My, pray, my protector is praiseworthy. Amen. If you could just receive that this morning, you would walk out of here a different person. If you had that mindset, 
He says, the one true God gives me strength. He removes obstacles. This is not David just saying this. This is a word for every one of you. The one true God gives me strength. He removes obstacles out of my way. He puts his protective shield around me. Your right hand supports me. Your willingness, listen to this, your willingness to help me. Why? What did David do? I mean, he slept with a woman, had her husband killed. What did he do? God loved him. God loves you. Your willingness to help gets you back on the right track. And then he ends with this. The Lord is alive. My protector is praiseworthy. Amen and amen. Well, I'm going to close. I promise you. This time, I promise I'm not lying. I'm not lying. But I, I came across again a, another story about orphans and inheritance and, and a heritage or inheritance. That Fred Craddock went on a summer vacation to Gatlinburg, Tennessee to take a short vacation with his wife. One night they found a quiet little restaurant where they looked forward to a private meal. While they were waiting for the meal, they noticed a distinguished-looking, white-haired man moving from table to table, visiting the guests. And Craddock whispered to his wife, he said, I hope he doesn't come over here. He did not want the man to intrude on their privacy, but the man did come by their table, and he said, Where are you folks from? And they said, Oklahoma. Splendid state, I hear, although I've never been there. What do you do for a living? I teach homiletics at a graduate seminary of Phillips University. Oh, so you teach preachers, do you? Well, I've got a story to tell you. Uh, and with that, he pulled up a chair and sat down at the table with Craddock and his wife. Dr. Craddock said he groaned inwardly. Oh, no, here he comes another, here he comes with another preacher story. The man stuck out his hand. And he says, I'm Ben Hooper. I was born not far from here across the mountains. My mother wasn't married when I was born, so I had a hard time. When I started school, my classmates had a name for me. And it wasn't a very nice name. I used to go off by myself at recess and during lunchtime because the taunts of my classmate cut so deeply. And what was worse was going downtown on Saturday afternoon and feeling every eye burning a hole through me. They were all wondering just who my real father was. When I was about 12 years old, a new preacher came to our church. I would always go in late and slip out early. I, I know you guys do that too sometimes. But one day, the preacher said the benediction so fast, I got caught, and I had to walk out with the crowd. And I could feel every eye in the church on me. Just about that time I got to the door, I felt a big hand on my shoulder, and I looked up, and the preacher was looking at me. Who are you, son? Whose boy are you? And I felt that old weight come on me. It was big. It was black, like a dark black cloud. Even the preacher was putting me down. But as he looked down at me, studying my face, he began to smile, a big smile of recognition. Wait a minute, he said. I know who you are. I see the family resemblance. You're a son of God. And with that, the boy, or with that, he slapped the boy across the back and he said, boy, you've got a great inheritance. Go out and claim it. The old man looked across the table at Fred Craddock and said, that was the most important single sentence ever said to me. And with that, he smiled, and he shook the hands of the Craddock, of Craddock and his wife and moved on to another table. 
And suddenly Fred Craddock remembered on two occasions the people of Tennessee had elected a boy who was born out of wedlock to, the, to be their governor. His name was Ben Hooper. You guys have got a great inheritance. Receive it. Don't let the enemy hold you back. Don't let the enemy hold you back. Let's give God a shout of praise, okay? He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our praise.